Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We are in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we uh, we come before you as needy people, and we think of what your son said that He invited all to come who are weary and heavy laden, and he would give us rest. And so, Lord, we come now to receive that rest, to receive that rest through your word. We come to receive that through seeing Christ in your word. Father, we pray for a miracle. We pray that we would actually experience Christ clothed in the gospel as we open your word, as we read it, as we attempt to understand it. Lord, we pray that we would hear from you. We pray, Lord, that we could leave this place just with a deep abiding sense of your love for us, that we've heard from you. We pray for anyone that's here that doesn't yet know you, that hasn't yet come to find salvation in your son, Jesus. We pray that today would be the day that they would be united to your son in faith. And um, we pray, Lord, for your people who have come here in all sorts of different conditions. We pray, Lord, that they would leave in joy knowing that you are with them and that you are transforming them and that you will work powerfully through them and that you are one day returning to make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the third week of a series called Generous Design, and we're looking at God's generous design in making us male or female and giving us work and friendship and marriage and sex and parenting 
And we're at the friendship part this time. Next week, we're going to look at how God solved this problem of man being alone and the creation of Eve and get into marriage. But this week, we're going to be looking at God's generous design for friendship. And uh, each week, we're giving away some books. This week, it's a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. She has an amazing testimony. You'll find out some of that testimony in this book on hospitality. But she lived a homosexual life as a professor at Syracuse University. And she was very active in the LGBT community. And in response to something she had written, a pastor and his wife invited her over. And she just kept coming over for years and formed a relationship with this pastor and his wife. And through that, she eventually came to Christ and had her whole life transformed. And this book is her experience of how hospitality, how God uses hospitality or ordinary hospitality or ordinary homes to make a tremendous kingdom impact. And obviously it happened in her life and she's seen a lot of fruit of it. There's a lot of good stories about it. So if you are looking for a book that would encourage you to open up your home more, to be more hospitable, and to see what God would do through that ordinary hospitality, then grab one of these. There's five of them down here and uh, you just take them. But this is something that we all need to grow in, right? I mean, if, especially now after the last few years, you know, uh, to open up our homes, to be more hospitable. So this morning, we're looking at God's generous design in, in friendship. And one of the things we can see right off the bat here in Genesis 2.18 is that friends are a human need. We actually need friends. Take a look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, this verse is pretty fascinating, especially when you think of where it is in the story, because God made human beings to find their friendship, to find their companionship in him. You can see in Genesis 3.18 that God would walk in the cool of the day in the garden. To walk with somebody is to offer them your friendship, to offer your companionship. God made the human beings to be his companions so that they could enjoy his friendship. And that actually so he could enjoy our friendship, which is strange, but true. He desires that relationship with us. And yet we see God himself in verse 18 say, It is not good that man should be alone. Even before sin enters the world... Adam needed human friendship in addition to friendship with God. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? It's not like he, you know, he notices the loneliness of Adam and goes like, hey, I should be enough. I'm God, you know, enjoy a relationship with me is enough. But God actually designed Adam this way. And, and it, from what we can tell, Adam doesn't even know that it's not good for him to be alone yet. God's going to show him that. And so our need for friendship, guys, is a feature in God's generous design, not a bug. It's a feature. And it's a feature because it's one of the ways that we actually image God. Because God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally existing in a friendship, eternally existing in relationship with one another, so that friendship and love existed before the universe existed, and that the universe is actually a product of that love relationship between God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's where the love comes from, by the way. Because if you believe, like Josh was talking about, if you believe in naturalism, there's no good explanation for real love. You could have survival instincts that look like love, but you can't have love. You can have a desire to spread your genes and to continue your species, but you can't have love. Because where would it come from? But the Bible teaches that our universe is a product of the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so friendship is a need, a human need. It's also a gift, guys. Good friends are a tremendous gift, aren't they? I think that 
that's a form of love that we tend not to celebrate enough in our culture or even with us. Our, our culture celebrates romantic love big time. If you look at like songs and movies and stuff like that, our uh, traditional culture celebrates family love big time, but neither tend to highlight the great gift of friendship love. And you might even feel weird about calling it friendship love, but it's a form of love that the Bible is really big on. C.S. Lewis, how many of you guys have read uh, The Four Loves? Great book by C.S. Lewis. I would highly recommend it. Maybe that should have been the book. I don't know. Very little hands. But uh, there's a section there on friendship that's really great where he talks about the pleasure of just being with your friends. And he says this, sometimes, he's talking about himself, sometimes when he's with a group of friends, he wonders what he is doing there among his betters. He's like, he's humbled to even have these friends, right? He says, he is lucky beyond what he deserves to be in such company, especially when the whole group is together, each bringing out all that is best and wisest and funniest in each other. Who could deserve such a thing? You ever feel that way? You know, good friendship is a gift. I felt that way just recently when I was at Ian's house. You know, we had the men's gathering on a Friday. We're all hanging out out there. And I had that exact feeling like, what did I do to deserve these kind of friends? And it's grace. It's a total gift. And it's rare, guys. What we're experiencing there and what you guys have experienced in your good friendships is rare, especially among men. I think a lot of us know that there's a huge decline in male friendship. There kind of is a, a graph that goes like this <laughs> with male friendship. But even in our culture, guys, I know it's a great graph. I should have put it on the screen. But it just goes like this, right? And it just goes down. But especially these days, there's less and less men have less and less friends. You guys realize that loneliness is as great a risk factor for early death as smoking, obesity, or high blood pressure. So you could start going to the gym or... You could work on your friendships, and that would probably work just as well. Guys, it is not good that man should be alone. And the book of Proverbs is really the best. If you guys will flip there, the book of Proverbs is really the best book on friendship. And we're going to hit a few different verses in there. They're not all right next to each other, so we're going to jump around. But friendship is even more important since the fall, since sin has crept into the world. Take a look at Proverbs 18.1. Proverbs 18.1, this is something you should circle, highlight, asterisk, you know, bullets, I don't know what you're going to do, but like highlight this thing. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Okay? Friends are even more important now that sin has crept into the world. We need friends. Uh, let me show you guys what you're up against so you'll know that you need friends because maybe you're not convinced. You are up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I have a diagram for that. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are all against you. This particular diagram, I didn't make this up. This is from a book called uh, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. But you got the devil, the flesh, and the world. And the way this works is the devil puts out deceitful ideas, which we, in our disordered desires, have plugins for, right? And that's the flesh. Our flesh is like, oh yeah, deceive me, I want that, right? And then what happens is it gets normalized in sinful society. So deceptive ideas from the devil play into our disordered desires, that's the flesh, and evidence in the normalization of, in a sinful society. So you have all three of these things against you, right? You have the devil actively trying to, you know, drive you away from the Lord. You know, we sing that song, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. This is why. You, there's a threefold attack against you. The devil giving you deceptive ideas. There's your own flesh that's more than happy to play along, right? 
And then there's a whole world that is normalizing sin, right? That's the world. And without friends, you're not going to make it. Plain and simple. The Bible is very clear about that. Hebrews 3 talks about that. Hebrews 10 talks about that. The devil loves to divide and conquer, right? You think about it, a lot of you guys have been in church a long time. You've seen church division. You've seen churches split up. You've seen people scatter, and then for a very long time out, usually don't go to church. The devil desires to divide and conquer, you know, it's like the nature movies where you see the caribou and they're running all in a group and the wolves are behind them, right? And, and you're watching them and it seems like the wolves aren't making any progress. And then what happens? One goes off by itself. And what do you think? Dead. Right? Dead. It's only a matter of time. And that's us, guys. That's us on our own with the devil, the flesh, and the world. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Just ask you, have you isolated yourself? Have you been isolating yourself? People are like, yeah, because of COVID. I'm like, okay, it's been a while. Like, you can do this now. You know, you could, you could be involved in a body. And I understand it takes intense effort to swim against the tide of isolationism. I mean, I'm naturally introverted. I'd be completely happy for days to be alone in a room with books. Like, you can be, aren't you going to be lonely? Nope. Like, leave me a few months, maybe, right? And our culture, guys, is there's a tide of isolationism with technology, with social media, with all the things that we have and all the ways that we can really opt out of connecting deeply with people. It's the air we breathe, and it takes effort. You know, it's so easy to make excuses about being busy or, you know, you have young kids, I got to take care of the kids and things like that. But I'll tell you guys, those of you who are married, if your spouse has any sense at all, they would love to send you off to develop some friendships with other believers. They would love that. A lot of times with the men, I'll hear like, well, you know, I hate to leave my wife alone with the kids. Uh, have you asked her? She'd probably love for you to have a good Christian friend. You know, she's probably been praying for this. She's probably like, Go. Women, same thing. Your, your husband's very likely to want to free you up for this because it's vital. And guys, it's so easy to cancel plans now. You just, last minute, send a little text, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it. And it's like, well, it started an hour ago. So I'm sure you aren't, you know? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make it. And you just with a simple text, and the difficulty's so small, you don't have to call. You know, in my day, you had to call. And you had to leave a message on their answering machine. And hopefully they came home and pushed the button before they went to the movie. You know, otherwise you just had to show up, <laughs> you know? And, but now, guys, it's so easy to, to break off a commitment and, and lose another opportunity to experience God's gift of friendship. And so you need good friends. You're up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And think about it. Not even Jesus wanted to face the Garden of Gethsemane by himself. He brought his three friends, right? They didn't do him a lot of good, but he brought them with him because he wanted them with him. Have you isolated yourself? And I would just say, you're here. So that's a great start, right? You're here. This is a great start. Maximize this time. Like you have so much opportunity here even to make friends, to develop friendship. You know, come early, stay late, invite somebody to lunch. I mean, I know these are very practical things. I don't have a verse for it, but it, they work, okay? So you go like, let's get lunch afterwards. We're already here. We're going to eat. You know, let's eat together. You know, that's the first step. Invite somebody over for dinner. You know, meet up for coffee. Guys, you know, that's actually the best way you can serve the church. As people go like, hey, I've been here for a while. I want to serve. I'm like, cool, have somebody over for dinner. Well, and I'm like, no, that would be the best thing you could do. The best thing you could do would be to be friends with the church. 
make friendships here, make deep friendships here. Guys, we don't just want to be a friendly church. We want to be a church who are friends. Those are different. We don't just want to be a friendly church. We want to be a church who are friends. Because, guys, stores can be friendly, right? But they're still businesses. The church is not meant to be a friendly business with a really great user experience, right? It's meant to be a band of friends. And so our goal, guys, in keeping the church very simple is that we wouldn't have you so busy that you couldn't just be friends. Because a lot of times, you know, you make programs to make friends. You're like, ah, oh, these people need to be friends. Well, we're going to make all these programs to get them to be friends. But they're so busy making the program work that they never really get to the thing we wanted, you know, the thing that Scripture points us to, which is to really know each other. And so you need friends. The Proverbs also tell us that our friends shape us. Look at uh, Proverbs 13.20. This verse seems so basic, and yet we just, we need it. You know, Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Anybody experience that? Anybody experience the last part? Companion of fools will suffer harm? Maybe you don't want to admit that this morning. But those who walk with the wise will become wise, and those who are companions of fools will suffer harm. We don't believe this as a culture. We believe the myth of self-creation. So I'm not influenced by others. I'm not a sheep. I'm not a follower. I'm not influenced. I'm the leader. I'm the influencer. You know, I'm the one that crafts myself. But the Proverbs actually say that you're actually shaped by your closest friends all the time. Like it or not, we're herd animals. Sheep or goats, right? Those are the two options for humanity. We're either sheep or we're goats. We're influenced by our herd. And, and we know this to some degree. You know, you hear in our culture, people say, especially in business literature, people will say, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's an admission of this, right? So Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The Proverbs tell us that we can wreck our lives either by not having any close friends or by having the wrong ones. And the Proverbs give us a handy list of Friends to avoid as your inner core. Okay, there's a list of five people. You want to hear what they are? Gluttons, drunkards, angry people, gossips, and insurrectionists. Seriously, I can give you the references. Gluttons, angry people, drunkards, gossips, and insurrectionists. It's basically your whole social media friend list, (laughs) right? Is what it is. So our friendships shape us, and we need to choose them wisely. Proverbs also point to the fact that our friendships vary in depth. This is kind of cool. Proverbs 18.24 is really helpful here. Our friendships vary in depth. It says, Proverbs 18.24, A man of many companions may come to ruin. That's kind of interesting after it said we need friends. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so interesting thing in this, in this verse, at least, he's using companion and friend differently. Notice there's plural companions. You give a bunch of them and still end up a wreck. But then there's a singular friend, right? So what this points to is that our friendships vary in depth and that it's super important to have the right singular friend or the right close friendships. Close friendships are essential. That You could have a lot of people, you know, you might have 2,500 friends on Facebook or wherever. You know, you might have that many followers or people that are connected to you that you kind of look at their stuff. And you can come to ruin, okay? But there's a friend, it says, that, that sticks closer than a brother, that we need close friendships. 
And there's a diagram for this as well. And this, I don't know where it came from. So I've had it for a long time. I don't think I made it up. But what this basically is talking about is it's showing Jesus' own friendship rings. Okay? So Jesus had a variety of friendship levels. You have the 120, that's, you know, when you think about Pentecost, those were the faithful disciples that were waiting for him when he sent the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is 72. You guys will remember that he sent out 72 people to do ministry. The 12, which would be the, the became the apostles. Also in that ring are some women that, that were important disciples in that, in that ring. And then there's the three, you know, James, Peter, and John. And I think what's helpful here is it's okay if you're not super close with all of your friends. You can't be. Not even Jesus was. You guys are like, whoa, that's weird. Well, human being, you know, God became a man. He's both God and man. But clearly living as a man and had a limit on how much relationship he could do, right? You see him tired. You see him trying to escape from the crowd. You know, you see him worn out because there's only so much he could do, which is one of the benefits, by the way, of the Holy Spirit coming is that we all have this close full access to God. We're not a bunch of, you know, you think about like there's a billion Christians now. We'd just be a face in the crowd trying to get to Jesus. But the Holy Spirit allows us all to connect to him directly. But this gives us a helpful grid to think about our relationships. I mean, if you're married, your wife or husband should be in that inner ring, right? Um, Should be one of your closest friends. And we're going to look at that next week with the creation of, of Eve. But guys, you also should have, and I think this is important for you married people to hear, you also should have friends, uh, same-sex friends that are in this very inner core as well. So you have your spouse and you have some same-sex friendships. A lot of married people don't have that. It's a huge risk factor for their marriage. It's a huge risk factor for, their, for themselves and for their witness. But you need that. We should all have close same-sex friends who are believers that, that are in that kind of closest ring. Um, I have great friendships with non-Christians, as I'm sure many of you do, But for that inner group of people, I need somebody that's traveling the same place I'm going, right? Uh, We're we're on a different path, and I need travel companions, and so, and you need travel companions, people that are going to be that kind of closest friend. And so there's nothing wrong, guys, with having lots of more superficial relationships, people that you know in the church even, that you talk to a little bit on Sunday, but you're not real deep with. It's totally fine. Jesus had that kind of relationship with people as well. The problem is if that's all you have, And as we dig in, I want you guys to really think about the level, the depth of your friendships and whether you have people that really know you. David and Jonathan are a great example of friendship, right? 1 Samuel 18. And uh, this is what it says about their friendship in 1 Samuel 18. So this is David, who became King David. Jonathan, who's King Saul's son. It says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Okay, there's some things about that that sound really weird to 21st century ears. Okay, there's this, you know, Jonathan and David's soul being knit together. I think you probably don't say that a lot about your friends. There's Jonathan twice. It says he loved David as his own soul. It says they had a covenant together. Contemporary readers, as many of you guys probably know, have even theorized that they were homosexual lovers. You guys have probably heard that before. Later, when Jonathan dies, David's like, you know, your love to me was greater than the love of women. And he says all these kind of, what sounds to us like really over-the-top things about their friendship. But the reason why people tend to think that about them is because we don't know what friendship is. 
right? It's us that's the problem. We only have two categories of love. We have romantic love, which is what you kind of assume they are, or you have family love. But friendship as a love is something that we really lack in our culture. Notice some things about their relationship. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Close friendships are two souls knit together. As the Proverbs say, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen to what Lewis said in that essay about that. He said this, in friendship, well, let me preface this. So this knitting, the passage doesn't say, okay, it says like immediately Jonathan's soul was knit to David's soul. And probably some of you guys, when you think about friends, you know, there were friends that when you first met them, you were like, this person's perfect for me. Like, this is such a, this is like just such a fitting friend for me. And that's what happened to the two of them is like immediately Jonathan's like, this is the friend I've been looking for all my life, kind of a thing, right? And it doesn't say who did the knitting, but I think the Lord did the knitting, right? The Lord's the one that brings friends together. This is what Lewis said about it. He said, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the date of our births, a few more miles between our homes, the choice of one university or another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. We'd never be friends. But for a Christian, there are strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you, can truly say to a group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Isn't that awesome? Think about the tightest friendships you have and just think about like that's something the Lord brought together. That's something the Lord gave you. That's something valuable. Notice too that Jonathan, multiple times it says that he loved David as his own soul. Once again, friendship is a kind of love. And friendship is a love that's not lesser than romantic love or family love. It's something to be valued and it's something to be cared for. Jonathan made a covenant with David. That's kind of weird. You know, you're like, okay, like, am I going to, you know, with my friends be like, hey, I think this is getting serious. We need to make a covenant. You know, what is that about? Covenantalism is the opposite of consumerism. This is one thing we can take from it. Consumerism says, I'm going to be in this friendship as long as you continue to add value to my life. Right? I'll be your friend as long as you add value to my life. There's tons of memes that say this, by the way. Cut the negative people out, you know? People that aren't helping you get where you need to get, you know? Consumerism. Covenantalism says, I'm committed to your good even if it requires bearing with you for a very long time. That's a covenantal view of friendship. And there's actually a rich tradition, Christian tradition, of keeping these kind of friendships. Remember two weeks ago, Gregory of Nazianzus, so he's a fourth century Cappadocian church father. You remember this? You're like, yes, I remember this. So anyway, he lived in the fourth century, and he was the one that he said, if anyone asked me what is the best thing in life, I would say friends. And he knew what he was talking about, because listen to what he said about his friend, Basil, who was another Cappadocian church father. He said this, we seem to be two bodies with a single spirit. It's the kind of friendship they had. I'm just going to leave that there. I hope that challenges you. I hope that makes you think. Can, can you guys see, though, how that kind of friendship, that kind of deep friendship, soul friendship, could help take the sting out of things like unwanted singleness? A lot of people, you know, they're kind of out of their families at this point. They're out on their own. They, they don't have a romantic interest, and they experience intense pain of loneliness. You know, Genesis 2, 18, it is not good for a person to be alone. Kind of loneliness. Can you see how having these kinds of friendships would totally help with that? Guys, it would handle a ton of problems believers deal with. 
There's a ton of counseling that wouldn't be needed. There's a ton of shipwrecks of lives that wouldn't happen. There's a ton of marriages that would be preserved. There's a ton of kids who would grow up in a way better home if their parents had those kinds of friendships, right? So many struggles would be solved with this. So I just want to ask you, do you have close Christian friends? Do you see the depth of the friends you have growing or becoming more superficial? Are there any friendships that were deep but have become distant? Once again, it's okay to have you know, more superficial friendships, but not if that's all you have. It could be as simple to do this. You think, well, how do I do this? How do I have more? I want a deeper friendship. It could be as simple as asking your friend to regularly read through a book of the Bible together and pray. Like, it would be that simple. You got a friend, be like, hey, this is some of my closest friends. We're not really where we should be. Can we just, you know, weekly or whatever, you think, I don't have time for that. Guys, if you don't have time for that, you don't have enough time. Your life is headed for disaster if you don't have enough time to maintain good friendships. There's just no substitute for it. There's all kinds of ways we can try and clean up the mess later, but there's no substitute for those deep friendships. So it would be as simple as saying to one of your closest friends, hey, can we regularly read through the Bible together and pray? It could be that simple. That's how to develop that kind of friendship. A couple of years ago, my friend Paul, who I knew from college, he lives up in Washington, he asked me to read through Calvin's Institutes with him, which I think is the Presbyterian way of making a friendship covenant. I think this is a special thing when a Presbyterian says, can we read through the Institutes together? And we've been doing it, and it's been great, you know? And it's actually a lot more practical than you could possibly imagine. And we start talking about our kids, and we start talking about parenting things, and we start talking about marriage, and we start talking about work, and great stuff like that. And so it's been awesome. So I just say, make an intentional effort to make those relationships deeper. The goal in that circle diagram is to move inward. And, um, and how do we do that? Another place to look is Proverbs 27. So look at Proverbs 27. I want to go through a few things that are in Proverbs 27 that show us once we're together with our friends and once we're kind of working on that deeper relationship, how do we practice the art of friendship? And this chapter is really practical on this, Proverbs 27. I actually see three E's here, of course. It's a preaching thing. First one's encourage. The art of friendship involves encouraging your friend. Look at verse 9. So Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Isn't that cool? And they give you a great picture of like how to encourage, you know, the friends that you have, how to practice the art of friendship would be to give earnest counsel that makes your friend's heart glad. You know, remind your friends of the goodness of God. Like maybe you guys have gotten in a rut. You know, when you talk, you just talk about how you hate some particular politician, or you know, you talk about gas prices for the 15th hour. You know, like there's nothing more to say. Or you just kind of get in a rut. If you, you complain, you kind of gripe, you share conspiracies. Remind your friend of the goodness of God. Remind your friend of the savoriness of his word. Remind your friend how much the Father loves him. Remind your friend of the power of the Holy Spirit, both noticing the fruit of the Spirit in the friend you have and also noticing the way that the Spirit is, is exercising gifts through, through your friend. Remind your friend of the amazing future that they have in Christ. I mean, encouraging one another, you might say, well, yeah, I'm not a very encouraging person. I'm like, yeah, I've noticed. This is something you can grow in. This is something we practice, right? And you could even notice from other people and how they do it. And that wasn't a very encouraging thing to say, was it? That's the next one, just wait. But practice that art. The next one is, so encouraging. The next one is excising, okay? Not exciting and not exercising. This is cutting, 
okay? This is excising. The art of friendship involves excising. Look at verse 5, Proverbs 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Isn't that a great verse? Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, meaning like your enemy, when they see your life going off a cliff, they're going to be like, you're doing great. Keep it up, you know, right? That's what your enemy does. Like, go a little faster. You're good. Enjoy life, right? But your friend, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Good friends know how to wound us. And these aren't the wounds of an enemy. These are the wounds of a skilled friend. Think of a surgeon's scalpel. Our good friends cut us to heal us. Wise friends know how and when to point out that harmful tendency in our heart, that, that malignancy that's in us. They know how to point that out. They know how to point out that bit of judgmentalism or greed or prejudice or discontentment or anger or impatience or pride or one of my favorites, self-pity, right? Or that harshness they have with their family. You're there. You see it. Right? They help us get down to the bottom of it. They help us to see what does our heart really want instead of Christ. You know? And then to show us how Christ is better. What they're really doing with this scalpel, this excising type friendship is they're, they're trying to remove that hindrance or to show us where that hindrance is so that it can be removed. That hindrance to enjoying Christ. Good friends cut us in order to heal us. And guys, the gospel should make us really open to that kind of correction. Now, if you think about it, how open are you to correction? How open are you to your closest friend saying, hey, you know, I was kind of prideful and I've kind of noticed a pattern. And, you know, what's going on there? How many of us are real open to that? You know, our friends can tell if we're open to that. Guys, the gospel should make us open to that. As Tim Keller has said so often, in the gospel, we know that we are more sinful and flawed than we dared believe about ourselves and yet more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. So in the gospel, we see that both we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe about ourselves, and that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope because we're in Christ. If we believe that, then we're not threatened when a friend points out something. We'll actually be totally willing to submit to their scalpel. And so I just ask you, do you tell your friends the truth? It doesn't help to have really close friends if we're lying to each other all the time or if we're ignoring things that are right in front of us. Do you tell your friends the truth? Do you confess your sin to your closest friends? John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus covers, us from all, covers all sin. Sin grows in the dark. Do you confess your sin? On the flip side, are you honest with your friends about what you see coming out of their hearts? Right? Uh, years ago when we were doing college ministry, there was a, a girl in our college ministry who was dating a non-Christian, and the relationship was not a good thing at all. And one of the other girls in the college ministry confronted her and said, hey, you know, that guy's not a Christian. You really shouldn't be dating him. And, you know, I can see it's causing much problems and stuff. And, uh, and she ended up, the, the one who was dating the non-Christian, ended up coming to us and saying, hey, you know, I thought that was kind of stepping on my toes. And, you know, I don't think friends should really do that kind of thing to each other. And one of our leaders said, you know, if she didn't do it, like, how mean would that be? How cruel would that be not to confront her? How cruel would you have to be to just watch your friend be covered in some sort of sinful malignancy and not say, hey, look at this, right? Like, so it's, it's not an act of love if we won't point things out. The art of friendship is really an art of pastoring your friends. You're called to pastor your own friends. Proverbs 20 verse 5 is so great on this. It says, the purpose of a man's heart is like a deep well, but a man of understanding will draw it out. 
So like every believer, their heart, we can't, you know, I can't see into your heart. I don't know your heart. All I can watch for is like what comes out of your heart, comes out through your mouth, comes out through your life, and kind of infer that it's coming out of somewhere and it's in there. But he says the heart is like a deep well, but a, a person of understanding is able to draw it out, able to see things. And that's the wisdom we need from the Lord. A close friend is, is someone who knows your soul and you know their soul. So maybe that's the easiest way to think about that in a ring. It's somebody that knows your soul and you know their soul. And we need people like that. And then the third E is equipping. Your friendship is for equipping you to be a more effective disciple. And that's in Proverbs 27, 17. Really famous passage. It says, iron sharpens iron as a man sharpens another. And one man sharpens another. The idea being like this iron sharpening is like, it's like an axe. How many of you guys have tried to use a dull axe? It's like cutting down a tree with a hammer. It's not going to happen. It needs to be sharpened. And, and what this passage is saying is that we can actually sharpen one another by our friendships. Our friendships should make us more effective. We should leave one another and go to our workplaces or our family or our mission field or out into the world more sharpened, more ready, with a clearer vision for why God has us here and how to live and for confidence in God to work through us and sharpened and ready for every good work. Our, our friendships are really about Christ and his kingdom. Be a good way to measure your friendships, right? It's like, how can we make this friendship that we already have, which is great, sharpen us for the kingdom? C.S. Lewis, once again in that essay, he says that friendships have to be about something other than each other, especially true of men. Like, we're not just going to get together and stare in each other's eyes. And talk about how wonderful our friendship is, right? Friendship has to be about something other than each other. He says this, That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something other than besides friends. Otherwise, there's nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendships must be about something, even if they're only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. It's a British thing, I think. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. I think that's really powerful. Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Friendship has to be about something. Friendship's about a journey, a quest, a war, an exploration, a great discovery. And in the Christian life, we have all that to share. That is the Christian life. We have the greatest possible thing to share. We have Christ in his kingdom. And so how much is your closest relationship sharpening in that way? Like how much scripture is shared? How much prayer is there? How much confession? How much sharpening? Our friendships are ultimately about God and his kingdom, right? That's what it's about. It's about the greatest thing. Our friendships are ultimately about God who made himself our friend. Stepping back into Genesis, you know, when human beings rebelled against God, God made it clear from Genesis 3 on that he still wanted friendship with us really cool. You know, it's very unexpected. You expect Genesis 3, it ends, push the smite button, push the nuke the world button, and we're done. You know, get a new world. Cheaper, easier than sending your own son is to just start over, right? But James says that Abraham was a friend of God. He says in Exodus, it says that God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. God was making it clear that though we had sinned against him and abandoned him and his friendship, he wanted us back. He wanted to make a way for us to come back. 
And we see him doing that ultimately in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see the extent to which God will go to reconcile us as friends. And what's cool is that God himself became our human friend. Isn't that amazing? God himself became a man. He's both God and man. That God who walked with his people in the, in the garden in the cool of the day and it was now walking on the hot, dusty roads of Galilee seeking friends. This is the God of Genesis 2. It's amazing. And his disciples, he called them his friends. Remember the way that Jesus practiced the art of friendship. And Jesus told them a friend, right? Like, think of the way he knew their hearts. He knew their souls. He knew how to encourage them. He knew when to excise. He knew when to equip. No one left the presence of Jesus unsharpened with a lack of clarity about where to find happiness or what the world is about or, you know, what's a worthy thing to live for, how to live. Jesus is the friend that made the disciples better friends. It's really cool. You have like one amazing friend in the center of these people. I mean, think of the people you have. You have, you have an insurrectionist, right? You had a zealot and you had a tax collector. These are people that you normally put together to watch them kill each other, right? But in the presence of Jesus, they learned how to be friends. They learned how to love one another. It's a picture of the church, right? He gave them something to be friends about, about him and the kingdom. And I just want to say this morning, guys, Jesus has come to be that friend for you through the cross, right? What we see is we see God, the one we have unfaithfully wounded, being faithfully wounded for us. We see, uh, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. I just want to ask you this morning, have you received the friendship of Jesus Christ? You know, you say, well, later. I'm like, why? Like, you're being offered friendship with God this morning. And we're talking about the kind of God who becomes a man and suffers on a cross to take away all of your sin and to welcome you in. The kind of God who wanted so badly to spare you the eternal loneliness of hell and welcome you into friendship with him. You're being offered that this morning. I mean, if you don't know Christ, if you're not walking with him, like it says in Genesis 3, if you're not walking with him, if you don't know him, if you don't have him as your friend, that's being offered to you this morning. And you say, well, I don't have time right now. I can't imagine why that would be the case, right? Or you say, well, there's some things I still want to do in my life that I know he wouldn't before. No one loves you like Jesus. You're not going to find something better than friendship with God. <laughs> this should be obvious, right? But we do that, don't we? We say, not now, not now. I got some stuff I really want more, right? You're being offered friendship with God. And it would just look like this. It would just be trusting in Jesus Christ this morning and becoming his friend. And not only that, but through union with Christ, he will live through you. He will live with you and he'll live through you. You Because we believe that when you trust in Jesus Christ by faith, you receive Christ, your sins are forgiven. But another thing happens, which is that you become united with Christ permanently by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus' soul is knit to your soul. That Jesus makes a permanent covenant with you. That Jesus becomes a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who lives with you and in you. And you and him. A friendship that makes all of our friendships more like his. Because friendship is hard work. But what we have in Christ is we have Christ working in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of friendship. And we know we fail in many ways in this area. We failed our friends. We have... Um, we have often made it about all kinds of other things and made it about ourselves mainly.
And so we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for that. And we are so thankful, Lord, that though we made ourselves your enemy, through your son Jesus, you made us friends with you. This is an incredible thing. I don't even know why you'd want that. And I don't know why you'd expend such a cost, but I'm thankful. And so we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that all the believers who are gathered here, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, would, would leave this place with just an immense confidence that you walk with them, that you go with them, that you're for them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.